one time I was going to the Alps. This was before I started POW, but still we're going to the Alps. Um, uh, and I, I was going to meet up with the rest of the group in Oslo. So I had to take the plane from Songdal to Oslo by myself. And the plane first couldn't land and then had to wait three hours to leave because the snowfall was so heavy. And when we eventually, when I eventually came to Oslo, I didn't catch my plane, had to take another one and had to do a detour. And we came, we arrived in, um, in the Alps and the conditions weren't that good. It was quite hard, uh, it hadn't snowed for a while. Um, and at the same time, we looked at uh, Facebook and we saw that the guys back in Songdal, it was so deep. Their GoPros on top of their heads were covered in every turn. While well, we were stuck in the Alps with quite shitty conditions. Uh, and that was the last time I took a plane to ski. So why did I start Protect Our Winters? Um, I've always been a skier. I'm from the western parts of Norway where snow is kind of part of our way of living. Um, I started at the university five years ago at Energy and Environment in Trondheim. And the name says that it's Energy and Environment while during my first year, I had math one, two, three, and four. And then we had the intro course to an energy and environment. But what we were taught was uh, shale sand and fracking and nuclear power. We also had a bit of wind and solar as well. Well, it was too much fossil. So I got a bit demotivated and thought that I have to do something else. This is not enough. I'm, I'm not going to save the world by studying energy environment. So I started looking around and thought about joining a kind of regular climate organization while eventually figured out that it wasn't for me. I was afraid that it would cost me too much time with too little of an impact. And by coincidence, I did follow Protect Our Winters on Facebook. And Protect Our Winters was a climate organization founded by Jeremy Jones, the professional snowboarder in US in 2007. And I thought maybe that's a good idea. So I gathered some friends from uh, from energy and environment and also from other places, uh, skiers and snowboarders. And we did send an email. 
and we didn't get an answer in that email so we sent another one and then another one and then I got quite desperate so I found other people related to protect our winters and spammed them on Facebook and emails and so on and eventually two or three months afterwards we got a reply from um, from Chris Steinkamp the CEO of protect our winters and he was a bit skeptical since they had never been outside of the US they were only I think three four five people in the US working eventually full-time in protector winters but they had only been in the US and they were thinking about going to Europe but they haven't hadn't moved that far yet and then a bunch of students came from Norway with no experience whatsoever and wanted to start a new chapter of protector winters and we we got the email, the first email in August, and we had a dialogue with them until October. And then we got the email saying that you are now allowed to represent Protect Our Winters in Norway. And this was back in 2013. So that is how Protect Our Winters started in Norway. I would say that snow and winter is quite special for me and not only for me but for my entire family. Um, one thing we do on Christmas Eve is that um, my mother is quite religious so she wants us to go to church while my father is um, not so much a religious person. Um, so after breakfast and before church we jump in the car and drive to Songdal and to the famous powder mountain called Toga. And we also bring our some friends of us as well. And we we go for a quite short and efficient hike uh, and we ski powder. And this is a really nice experience for all of us. But I think especially for my father, since this is his way of having a religious moment during Christmas. Uh, and I also remember the first time I brought my my girlfriend skiing. Uh, she had gotten full setup for Christmas for me. I think I used three or four months looking at, for the perfect gear used, of course. So I bought skis and bindings and split them and sold the skis to my brother and bought another pair of skis for her and and found boots in Songdal that my parents had to pick up and I kind of gathered it all and gave it to her. And when we were going out for the ski, it was too much wind and bad weather on the mountains. We just found a field in the bottom of the valley where she lives in Vik. And I think we I think we did maybe twenty meters up. We used half an hour and it it, it were um kinda in normal terms a quite fail uh, hike while 
we had a lot of fun even even if we just we didn't get any far and the snow was just okay but it was her first time kind of into my world where i could show her what my favorite activity was So um, we started out from NTNU, we were only students and we wanted to attract the attention for the students. So our approach was to go into festivals. This was where the winter sport community actually gathered. Instead of standing, let's say, in the streets of Oslo and giving out flyers, then you would maybe maybe one in a hundred would be a relevant person to talk to. While if you go to Fjellsport festival, the, fe the mountain sports festival in Songdal or uh, Vinjerok or other winter sports or just mountain festivals in Norway, you will meet several or maybe close to everyone would be relevant to protect our winters. And it was also easier to motivate volunteers to go to festivals and be there and take part of the show. And um, so that was what we did in the start. Um, and we held lectures and debates and we had competitions where we tried to focus on environment. And we always gave away used skis as a symbol of the reusing thing um, now we're we're not moving away from festivals and events while we're adding we're also adding cooperation with businesses and the industry because we well we want to uh, cooperate with both the the skiers and snowboarders, but also the industry, and be the voice of both towards politics, so that we might have the possibility to, for change. Um, we uh, in, in the start we we kind of thought that maybe we could help the businesses getting greener, helping them take the right choice and. When they're cho choosing their materials or such, but we we quite early found out that it's better to help them communicate climate change, so we can together communicate climate change. We can have a better reach, and then they would easier take the right choices themselves, since they were cooperating with an environmental organization. Uh, it kind of says itself that you have to do something. You have to push a bit further. And that is what we've seen in the U.S. as well. Uh, the companies that have been cooperating with Protecting Winters are now leaders in the fight against climate change on their fields. Let's say, for example, Patagonia. 
they were in the start as well before Protect Our Winters, but they have taken an even better position at being one of the good ones. And how do you think uh, businesses will think differently about collaborating with PAO like instead of another environmental organization? Uh, I would say that um, the key thing about Protector Winters compared to nearly any other climate organization is that we can relate to feelings. Uh, it's quite easy for the human brain to understand the logic behind climate change. Um, if you melt snow and ice, uh, the ocean will rise. Uh, if the temperature re uh, increases, you will have more extreme weather and more droughts. And this will happen towards 2100. We do not exist in 2100. And it's the poor countries that will be the most affected. And this is hard to not understand, but get emotionally attached to. While if I can say that, do you like skiing? Yes, your snow is melting. You cannot ski the way you used to in 20 years because your ski resorts will have less snow and your mountains will have less coverage. There won't be a white Christmas or Easter. And then you, then you get the emotional effects and then people actually care and they try to make a change and that is what we see in both our volunteers and our members our first party at protect our winters our first dinner party no one dared to bring meat um, we we hadn't said anything about it but no one even the guys that i knew were quite they were meat eaters they had put a lot of effort into creating veggie food instead and it was fantastic it was really good and and is this effect that it's quite interesting to see that and and also our volunteers no one of them had any experience from other environmental organizations and that gives us an answer that we're doing the right thing. We're we're not taking people from other organizations. We're creating a market for ourselves, and we're we're actually satisfying a need among skiers and the winter sports community. Yeah, we're not only speaking about emotions and our love for snow, but we're also we're also using a riders alliance to communicate this. So our riders alliance, it's a group of professional winter sports athletes all over the world. In the US they have over 100 riders alliance, while in Norway we have 7. And we use the Writers' Alliance to communicate climate change because they're famous people. People look up to them. They have an important voice. And until now, we haven't seen that much from a group that is dependent on snow and winter. 
So what we will start doing more now is uh, we're looking at a project that the US has done uh, with great success called Hot Planet Cool Athletes. It's actually been brought forward by the White House before Trump as a good example of climate communication. So we will use our Writers Alliance to communicate climate change. They will tell their stories as a professional winter sports athlete and how climate change has affected them and how you can make a change as well. And the thought is to go around on schools and other events holding this all over Norway eventually.